From the makers of Quest Bars comes an exciting new product line for those of us interested in the ketogenic lifestyle. It's called Quest Keto, and these innovative foods will make your pursuit of ketosis that much more convenient and tasty. There are a myriad of sweet and savory snacks, as well as ready-to-eat frozen meals, including ketogenic cinnamon rolls, sandwiches, biscuits, flatbread frittatas, and so much more. I've personally tried all of these new Quest Keto products, and they are the real deal, offering delicious, truly keto-friendly foods that don't negatively impact your blood sugar or blood ketone levels. Check out the full line of new ketogenic meals and more at questketo.com. You can experience all the health benefits of keto on the go, anytime, anywhere, thanks to Quest Keto. One of the most beloved authors in the ketogenic community is my amazing friend and keto nutrition expert, Maria Emmerich. She has dedicated her life to helping people achieve health and well-being through a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat diet. We all know and love Maria's incredible work, including my collaboration with her on the international best-selling book called The Ketogenic Cookbook. Now she's back with another amazing new book set to release on December 27th, 2016 in titled The 30-Day Ketogenic Cleanse. Unlike most juice or other cleanses where you starve yourself throughout the entire process, this cleanse from Maria uses the principles of a whole foods-based ketogenic approach to help you conquer the first 30 days of becoming keto-adapted and reap the full array of benefits right away. In this 432-page book, you'll get a 30-day meal plan, weekly shopping list, 150 scrumptious recipes, that are mostly dairy-free and contain no nut flours, and so much more. This makes a great gift for yourself or anyone looking to get healthy in 2017. Pre-order the book now at Amazon.com and pick up your copy of the 30-Day Ketogenic Cleanse in paperback and ebook versions in Barnes & Noble and Amazon beginning on December the 27th. Coming up in episode 1189, Miriam Kalamian. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author you're like the LL Cool J of podcast Jimmy Moore Today's featured audio is from the 2016 On Nutritional Ketosis and Metabolic Therapeutics Conference that took place in Tampa, Florida earlier this year. Sign up now at MetabolicTherapeuticsConference.com for next year's Tampa event coming February 1st through the 4th, 2017. Thanks for coming in for supporting this important work. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Miriam Kalamian. As Angela told you, I'm a keto nutritionist and educator. Uh, I don't have any institutional affiliations. Um, I don't work in a clinic. I have my own um, consulting. And uh, there we go. I have done some consulting work for Max Love 
and for the Keto Therapeutics Food Company. And uh, I'm very excited to be here today, so thanks for coming. I work with clients, not patients. Uh, I make that clear to people. Uh, and my work is primarily with people with uh, cancer, and most people that I work with are also undergoing standard therapies. So that certainly complicates the picture. Uh, so I have a lot of experience with adapting the ketogenic diet for people with uh, a, a variety of uh, special needs. One size fits all? Don't think so. Uh, not in practice, not in clinical trials, we tailor the plan. You know, one of the really important things to me is that every person that I work with is totally on board with, with the changes that they're going to need to make. Uh, early on, uh, I would you know, start to help anybody uh, that contacted me, but I realized that unless that person has made the commitment, uh, we're not going anywhere with it. So you know, they make the commitment, you know, I will make the plan for them, I'm, I will do it. Um, so they need to be on board or at least willing to try and not be doing this under the pressure from a spouse or another loved one. So it's a huge step, you know, because there's a lot of uh, anti-cancer diets out there. So people will come to me with, well, how is this different from Budwig? How is this different from, from Gerson? Uh, and so there's a lot of education on the front end on the science behind the diet. So how do we know if somebody is a good candidate? So they've, they've told me they want to do this, but how do I know they're a good candidate? Well, first, you know, uh, there was a consensus statement that was developed uh, 2008, Beth, uh, and it, it's, it, it was for epilepsy, but those uh, same contraindications um, are true for uh, any application of the diet. Thankfully, I don't run across that, uh, the contraindications very often, the absolute ones, because they're mostly things that are identified in childhood. So, uh, you know, in a perfect world, I would have people willing to, uh, medical teams willing to run the tests and to, and to look at some of these or just even give me a baseline vitamin D. Uh, but in reality, that doesn't happen in my world. And, you know, people, even if they get the test, they don't have insurance coverage to take care of that. So I kind of boil it down to one question. Have you ever tried the Atkins? And if they tell me yes, we're good to go. Um, so, so there's some other things I, I want to know in that initial um, uh, information. I, I want to know how they found out about the diet, uh, what they know so far, and what are their expectations. If their expectations are that the diet is going to cure them of their cancer in two weeks, you know, we, we need to talk about that, you know, be more realistic. And I watch out for this very revealing question, and that is, how long do I have to stay on this diet? There they are, friends and family, they can, you know, when, when they're supportive, it's great, and when they're not, they can undermine commitment and destroy compliance. But these guys, this one right here. I mean, I would really love that every person I work with have a medical team behind them, but the reality is it more often looks like this. And you know, this guy right here, he's, he's actually the least harmless one, even though he's got that lollipop in his hand, because he's gonna tell my client that diet doesn't matter. And so what I say is, if, well, if diet doesn't matter, then he shouldn't mind if you're doing a ketogenic diet. <laughs> 
But this, this guy's a little more of a problem. He's, I mean, uh, this is perfect. He has that look. He's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he knows it all. He doesn't want you to waste his time discussing diet. And, uh, you know, if you don't go along with the program, there are consequences. There really are consequences, by the way, if you, you know, come up against this guy right here. But this one is the one that I have the hardest time with. And there are actually eye rollers out there, intimidators, bullies, you know, bullies, there's bullies. And that is unprofessional and inappropriate, and my suggestion is fire that person and move on. Uh, there's no, this is a good indication right here of what you're gonna run into in trying to communicate with your team about anything. So how do we find doctors who are going to be supportive of the diet? I wish I had a really good answer for that, but I don't. And it's a huge problem in my world, and I hope that we can, uh, we can start to make some progress in that. Some of the larger cancer centers at this point are um, actually not throwing up obstacles. They're seeing the results of many more people coming through, and, uh, and, and so they're, they're, not, um, they're not supportive, but they're not getting in the way anymore. Um, so, but for local monitoring, um, I, I rely more on GPs. Some, a lot of people have a really good relationship with their general practitioner um, and naturopathic doctors. Uh, and boy, we really need a system to educate people about the science. And I, and I need to be able to say, oh, you're in St. Louis, then you know, this is who can help. And we don't have that yet. So in building the framework, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what we got so far. All right, we have my clients on board. She looks like a good candidate. She's reading up on the diet. She's asking questions. Friends and family have pledged their support, and the medical team is not getting in the way. That's as good as it gets. So this one, boy, this was a, this was a hard slide for me to put together because this could be the whole talk uh, and it could be three hours. I'm, I'm serious about that. Um, and like I said, I've worked mostly with people with cancer and this right here, the treatment side effects um, are, so many of them are GI side effects. It's nausea, vomiting, constipation, diarrhea. So you're making this huge change in your diet and you're dealing with this at the same time. And I wish I had the time to talk to everyone, answer everyone's questions about how we deal with that, but it's really very individualized. Uh, I say get ahead of it though. Get their team involved. If, uh, if an uh, anti-emetic, if Zofran is gonna help with this, you know, get in there with it. If, if, there, if constipation is a known issue, get ahead of the constipation. Don't wait for these things to happen because they can really undermine what you're doing. Food intolerances and impaired digestion, so common for uh, anyone over 50, actually, but especially for people with uh, cancer. Uh, you know, just to give you one example um, of a non-cancer one would be the, the FODMAP. Uh, you know, everybody's heard about FODMAP intolerances. And, uh, you know, and that becomes really, you know, restrictive in terms of an already limited diet if you can't have cruciferous vegetables and avocados and almonds. Um, gallstones. What people with gallstones, you know, who, who among them are being told that they should have a high-fat diet? It just doesn't happen. So, you know, if somebody has a history of gallstones, they're kind of afraid 
to get on board with the diet. And, and if they've had their gallbladder removed, uh, they may be afraid that they won't be di able to digest the fats. And that's just not true. Uh, they can and do work with this all the time. I, I don't let that be an issue at all. Uh, pancreatic enzymes really help get over the initial problems with uh, digestion. And it also gets, it helps people get over the anxiety that it isn't going to work for them. Uh, hypothyroid, I've been told that people with hypothyroid should not be on this diet because it's too disruptive to their hormones. And again, that's, that's nonsense. You may see some change in the uh, first month or two in thyroid hormones for somebody that's dropping into a low uh, carbohydrate diet. Uh, but you know, we can work around it. There's only been a couple people that, um, that I, I just wasn't able to work with there. Um, the medications do mess with glucose control and I do keep um, the carbs higher with somebody coming into it with hypothyroid. I, I don't want to go down to 12 grams of carb. Um, high cholesterol. You know, nobody here is really that terrified of high cholesterol, but uh, you know, I hear it, oh, my cholesterol is high and my doctor doesn't want me to do this diet. And if the doctor doesn't want them to do it and, and they're, they're, you know, they're thinking this could be a problem, then uh, we gotta have a little education session about pattern A, pattern B, about the HDL levels, about triglycerides being more important. And, you know, and what is the goal here? Is it to lower your cholesterol or is it to fight your cancer? Bowel disease, that manifests in about a billion different ways. And uh, in that, my, boy, I would really like it if it's just as simple as changing out a few foods, making some you know, changes in, in what they're eating in fat, maybe changing the meal timing. Um, and if not, that is sometimes something that people can't get past. Um, and that's unfortunate, but then I still want to help them. And I still want to optimize their diet, it's just not going to be ketogenic. Um, seizures. Uh, people with uh, brain cancer often uh, find out that they have um, a tumor because they've had a seizure that's landed them in the hospital. Uh, there's a medication that is most commonly used for people with uh, brain cancer is Keppra that doesn't seem to create any problems in terms of diet, but occasionally I, I, I'm working with somebody who's been put on valproic acid and uh, that does deplete carnitine, and so they have to get ahead of that. A lot of dealing with these, you know, these accommodations is just getting ahead of it, knowing enough about um, you know, what, their, you know, what their issues are that you can alert them to this because their team isn't taking time to talk to them about it. Their team may not even know it. Uh, personal or family history of kidney stones, again, this should not be a... Uh, uh, a reason not to do the diet, and I have struggled with a few people. You gotta work real tight with them if they have a personal history. Um, I do like them to consult with their renal specialist, and I do ask that they keep uh, oxalates low, particularly in the first couple of months. Again, it's a little limiting, but it really, um, it helps. And I also am careful about their, uh, I really want them tested for vitamin D levels. I wanna optimize it, but I don't want them taking any more than they need because that can be an issue with kidney stones. Steroids, um, a lot of people, not just brain cancer, but uh, a lot of people in cancer treatment are taking either dexamethasone or prednisone. And uh, some of the people, some of my colleagues think you can't work with that. And, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm 
persistent, I guess would be the word. And I have worked with that. And, I, uh, and it's a wonderful feeling when you can get somebody through that. I, I've been working with a fellow who uh, has a, a glioblastoma and um, he had some treatment-related side effects. They had to increase his um, dex dosage to 24 milligrams. That's an incredibly high amount of dexamethasone. And his, uh, his number shot up, he had good glucose control till that, and then his number shot up to like 130, 140. But it worked for him, and so as his symptoms resolved, we stayed on top of bringing the level down, doing it the proper way with a wean. He did not have a rebound. His numbers dropped back down into the 60s and 70s. So, you know, you, you can do that. Uh, opiates, opiates for pain, for pain control. We need this for people um, with advanced cancers and it causes some really nasty side effects, primarily slowed GI motility and constipation and it's a really intractable kind of constipation. And again, you gotta get ahead of it. I'm not surprised at how many people actually you know, develop this issue, but I am surprised that, the, that nobody's told them when they prescribed the medication or when they picked up the medication that, you know, that they need to stay ahead of this and do a lot of proactive things to prevent the constipation and the GI, uh, the GI side effects of nausea and vomiting. The other thing about opiates is, uh, and, I, and I do warn people about this, especially those who are at home alone, is they can uh, really cloud your thinking and result in falls or overdoses. You know, I, and I have seen that, I'm not just, you know, I'm coming from a real personal place in that, I've seen it. <coughs> barriers to compliance. I wish I could spend hours talking about barriers to compliance. Uh, you know, I'm just gonna let you absorb that while I tell you about a woman that I worked with who um, had a lot of challenges and this is how they all come together. So, she, this is what I learned about her. She, uh, she had recently been diagnosed with a stage four cancer and had um, immediately gone to a ketogenic diet at the urging of her grandson, which was a wonderful thing. Uh, she and her husband were both in their 80s and living in their own home. That's kind of an obstacle right there, considering a move. Um, she had no help with household chores and her health issues included hypothyroidism and osteoporosis. But on the plus side, this was one sharp lady. She was bright and uh, you know, able to understand the concept behind the diet. Uh, her thinking was clear, she had no digestive problems, um, even though she didn't have a gallbladder, no issues. She slept well, which for a person in their 80s, is a, for any of us, that's a real plus. And she started the diet with a, with a really good supply of commercially prepared, pre-cooked keto meals. And I can't even begin to tell you how, uh, you know, how much of a benefit that is for her. She didn't have to think about, you know, she had plenty of time to get up to speed on uh, what were keto-friendly foods, so she could continue to make what she would normally make to, you know, for her husband and then have these keto meals for herself. So, so she, you know, she emailed me a couple of days into it and told me that she was uh, feeling uh, shaky, tired, and having a hard time on the stairs. And it's like, red flags, red flags, that, that, you know, because those things don't mix with osteoporosis. Uh, and she asked if it could be diet-related, um, or was it the two days of having to run into town for these doctor's appointments? 
uh, she called them hectic days. So yeah, so some of these symptoms could be um, diet related, but of course she was overwhelmed. Uh, hectic doesn't even begin to describe the chaos you're thrown into with a diagnosis like that. You know, she, she stuck with the diet for two months, but then the barriers to compliance went out. But she still, she's told me that she had, had benefited and her scans are looking really good and her doctor says that happens sometimes. Are you passionate about nutrition and looking for a way to start sharing your knowledge with others through a respected credentialed education program? Then check out the Nutrition Therapy Association, NTA, at nutritionaltherapy.com. The NTA trains and certifies nutritional therapy practitioners and consultants by emphasizing the bio-individuality and the wide range of dietary strategies that support overall wellness. The NTA encourages encourages local, whole, properly prepared, nutrient-dense foods as the key to restoring balance and enhancing the body's ability to heal. You can become a Nutritional Therapy Practitioner, NTP, in just nine months of 15 to 20 hours a week commitment, and it includes three multi-day hands-on workshops with live info sessions twice monthly. Registration is currently live through February the 6th, 2017, and financial aid is available at as well. Learn more by calling the NTA toll-free at 800-918-9798 and sign up now for the 10th annual NTA conference coming to Vancouver, Washington on March the 3rd through the 5th, 2017. Learn more about becoming an NTP at nutritionaltherapy.com. So, uh, as part of the intake, I gather info on food preferences. One size doesn't fit all, so I want to get information here. And um, as I work through the list, I'll hear things like, uh, uh, well, I'm not a fan of cauliflower. And I say, well, you're in luck. There's no requirement for cauliflower. Uh, and it's true, because I'm, I'm going for you know, a range of macronutrients and keto-friendly foods, and they can be combined in any number of ways, and that's, you know, that is the personalization part. People can get some of this from the internet, but you know, I can really help sharpen up what they're doing. So, you know, so if somebody tells me, oh no, they, you know, oh no, they can't do this, uh, canola oil. No, they can't do, I'm, it's not like I recommend it, but oh no, I don't want to have canola oil. And, and you know, uh, so if they think that's gonna kill them faster than their cancer, then it's like, fine, because everybody, you know, who isn't using olive oil? So, I like to know how my client identifies themselves. If they identify themselves as paleo, this is really a real good place to start, because they've already eliminated the grains. They're kind of, you know, they're still on the fence about, about the uh, sugars, um, but, but, you know, we're making progress here. They know how to cook. They know something about food. They're not afraid of fat. They eat meat. We, you know, we're, we're good there. Uh, Mediterranean, people who identify with the Mediterranean diet. Uh, it, it's a little different for them. They, uh, they have a hard time giving up that crusty bread because it's part of the allure of the diet. Uh, and, and sometimes they think it's, you know, just adding a little bit of, bit of olive oil is, is going to do it, but you know, when I tell them they have to add a lot of olive oil and a lot of butter, uh, it gets a little more challenging. But they really like to hear that they can have red wine back in after, after they're keto adapted. 
So Western di uh, diet, they're, they're the hardest to get on board. And uh, you know, sometimes they come as a referral and it is hard to get on board. But I have to tell you one, one fellow that this worked for. Um, I had to send him a picture of a steamer basket, a vegetable steamer basket, because he had never prepared vegetables in that way. And I thought, oh my God, this is never gonna work. Uh, and you know, we did the setup. I gave him a real simple template for meals. And he asked a few questions in the next week or two. And then a few months later, he got back to me and he said he just loved what he was doing. This was a great way to eat. And it was working for him. And his, you know, he was getting some uh, good feedback from his team. So vegan. I hear from some people you can't do this as a vegan. And I know that's not true. Uh, it's a lot of work to do this as a vegan, but I have one really rewarding story I want to tell you of a woman who is now three years out on a glioblastoma. And uh, if you don't know glioblastoma by now, she had a, a prognosis of uh, 14 months, and that was with the standard of care. And the standard of care is a good resection and then uh, radiation and chemotherapy followed by more chemotherapy. Well, she had the good resection, and she started the radiation and the chemotherapy, the, the uh, Temidar. <laughs> and uh, and uh, um, she developed an allergy to it about three weeks into it. And uh, so she's not been on any chemo since, and uh, her husband does, you know, all the managing of the diet and figuring out the calculations, and it's been a, a real success story for her. So, this is a huge problem here, and I just wanted to bring this up. Uh, comfort foods are, um, are, they really get in the way of everything, and, and it starts right there with uh, layers of love. We equate food with love. And you know we can't do that, and I, and, I, and I just see now that I don't have a whole lot of time to talk about that, so uh, just keep it in mind. And we'll go on to the next slide. And I love this. This is black six over here, and you know if you feed him a high-fat diet, um, he gets very sick very quickly, and it's, it's very uh, efficient. Um, but boy, when you look at the uh, macros for his high-fat diet, which is 45% fat and a lot of sucrose, and you look at the layers of love brownie, uh, there's not a whole lot of difference. So maybe they should just feed him brownies, and then he'll feel more loved and cared for. So I don't use diet ratio with, uh, with adults. I go with macros as a percentage, and that's the basic range. There are exceptions, but you know, I want to roll through the macros quickly here. So uh, protein, um, I start, well, I, I guess I don't have time really to talk about how I calculate this, but you know, there are formulas for calculating it. And if the goal is nutritional ketosis, um, I, I go with kind of a mid-range of uh, one to 1.2 grams per kilogram of uh, body weight. If the goal is therapeutic, I uh, drop it to the RDA, which is a little lower. And if people are coming with a, a lot of extra weight, then I go with lean body mass calculations. I go lighter on the protein for people who have brain tumors. I, I have found, my experience is that they do a lot better. Dairy and egg proteins can be um, a problem because they're insulinogenic, much more so than other proteins. And then I have a whole list of questions about protein that I, I would love to have the answers to, but that's for another day. Carbohydrates. 
12 to 40 is a huge range. And of course, the most uh, successful ketosis is going to be on the lower range, like 12 to 20. Um, so if somebody is, is choosing all kind of low glycemic index, uh, nuts or uh, cruciferous vegetables, you know, we can go towards the, the, the 20 in the, in the induction part of it. But if they're going to pick, uh, you know, starchy or things like, um, like squash or they're going to have sugary things like berries, we're going to keep it lower because of the impact. And that, that's one way to get around uh, some of the issues we've been talking about. Uh, fats and oils, I'm going to have to leave that, but um, I encourage a combination of fats and oils, and it's a, I'll just go through the things I tell people to take out, because I think that's the more important thing. I want them to take out trans fats, they're usually there, um, you know, they're evil and we can all agree on that, soybean oil, corn oil, refined oils, uh, and fat from industry-raised animals is a little iffy. So, butter and cream. And, uh, and high-fat dairy for women with um, estrogen-sensitive cancers. Uh, if I'm very supportive of people choosing not to use those products because of the issues, the p potential issues with, um, with the estrogen metabolites. Ketone supplementation, I have more questions than answers. So uh, I think they're a great idea, but I don't know how to use them yet. I want to get to this accountability. People need to test in order to, uh, to know uh, whether or not they really are ketogenic. I, I need this, this data, they need this data. Because when they test and they see that their sneaks and cheats have, um, have you know, dropped their ketone levels, that's more important information, feedback directly to them than anything that I can say to them. So, you know, circling back to um, accountability, uh, if it, you know, I'll do anything to help somebody do this diet. Uh, but if it becomes clear that they're not on board with changes, then I put the ball back in their court where it belongs. Supplements, I'm not really going to talk about that at all. I think there's some things that need to be, um, need to be covered, you know, because this, this diet being high fat, there is some nutrient, uh, nutrient issues. So before I go, I, wanted, I want you to meet my son, Rafi. And uh, he lived his short life under the uh, shadow of a brain tumor. And we learned about the diet, but it was years into the diagnosis. And I used to say, if, if I knew then what I know now, things might have been different. And that's true. But if I knew then what I'll know 10 years from now, that's the game changer. So moving forward, I would like all these things to happen. I would like there to be a certification pro uh, process. And I want to thank these people. And uh, Beth is here today. And, uh, and she was an incredible amount of support to me in a very difficult time in our lives. So thank you all. questions. We'll also have a 30-minute um, Q&A session with the speakers um, at the end of the next talk, so keep that. Uh, I just want to make one comment uh, that you brought up about the steroids. Can you turn on the microphone on the top? Just pull up the door and switch. Perfect. I just
comment about uh, a point that you brought up uh, about the steroids. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, oncologists uh, think that uh, bezomethasone or any kind of steroid is benign. And our group actually uh, demonstrated, it was published last year in British, in British Journal of Cancer, that steroid actually interferes with chemotherapy's action against the tumor. So on uh, one hand, we are trying to treat the tumor. On the other hand, we are trying to negate uh, uh, the chemotherapy side beneficial uh, effect. Also, this is something that I tell my patient. Uh, women with gestational diabetes, when their babies come out, they're bigger. Yes. Uh, because of hyperinsulinemia, steroid does that exactly. Uh, so, you know, so patients, uh, in my experience, uh, when they are steroids, they don't do as well as those who are aggressively eating off their steroids. Right, and it comes, it comes, thank you, it comes down to the medical team uh, and whether the medical team is going to be supportive of trying something alternative like Boswellia. Yes. Thank you so much for everything you've been doing with patients. Well, thank you. Um, I also do oncology nutrition consulting, and I'm just wondering if you've ever come up against a side effect of the ketogenic diet of frequent urination. I have a client who, uh, despite all rational approaches of electrolyte balance and all that, we just can't seem to manage it. I'm just wondering if you've encountered that and if you had any. Sure. The diet has a... Um, uh, has a diuretic effect um, and so adding salted broth isn't helping no, no. okay uh, what the level of ketones I'd be if, it, if this was my client I'd be looking at the level of ketones the higher the level of ketones the more um, diuresis you're gonna have not that high 25 so mm -hmm. not that yeah. high. talk to me afterwards okay. we'll, we'll, we'll troubleshoot that one okay thank you Coming up next time on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show, we have two more lectures from the 2016 Metabolic Therapeutics Conference. Next up, Dr. Susan Messino. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc of Light. <laughs>